Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. I'm Father Travis Crotty. Good to be with you again, Father. Um, we're, we're recording here. I'm in St. Louis. You're in Sioux City. The sky here is getting like pitch black, okay? And it's mid-morning. That's uh, not, that's like not typical. A storm. What's that? I said that's not typical. No, it looks like there's a massive storm rolling through here. So if you start hearing lots of thunder and, and w- rain pounding on the windows, we might have some background noise coming up. You are. Uh, we mentioned on a recent episode about the kind of uh, structure of your building, which looks mm-hmm. like a castle. So you should be set. You should be safe. Well, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get blown away by a tornado. But we might have lots of background noise here in the recording. That's kind of that's kind of intense. Welcome oh. to Outcast Catholic in the storms. That's great. Um. Well, speaking of uh, <laughs> Anyways. storms, I think. <laughs> speaking of storms, uh, I have kind of watched a, a little storm brewing this past week, as our new seminarians entering into the propedeutic year, uh, a new initiative by seminaries across the United States this year, um, started a uh, this preparation period. Before they're jumping into to full philosophy studies, Latin studies, Greek studies, all of that, before they get into their formal studies, they're just taking a preparation year, a, a year really focused on healing, a year focused on uh, understanding Catholic culture, a year really focused on just being with the Lord and solidifying a prayer life. Uh, and the storm that was coming is that they knew they had to begin their technology fast. And so just a few days ago, you could see some of the anxiety building. Oh. You could see the tempest brewing. Uh, they had to turn in all of their cell phones, all their computers, all their devices, and they get them for four hours uh, a day, once a week. That's okay. This four, is a, yeah, four hours once a week. That's this it. is interesting. I didn't realize that it's actually a physically like. Is there like a special like cabinet or something that they? Yeah, they, they actually in? like turn them over. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's fascinating because when I was in um, the seminary in Denver with the spirituality year, that kind of, you know preceded this experience in the church at the propedeutic year. It was a propedeutic experience of the propedeutic experience, if you will, um, right. for the church. We could keep our phones um, and just use them on Saturdays. And I guess there was enough of a culture because we were in our own house that everybody was doing that. But that's interesting because I suppose the temptation was there. I never used it, but I could have if I wanted to. Um, wow, that's intense. Hardcore, Kenrick. Well, it, uh, other seminaries have done this, and yeah. um, oh, it's a good we idea. did a pilot run last year with some of our college students in the Glennon program, um, just throughout uh, like the, the third quarter of the school year, basically, and they loved it. Uh, it just allowed, allowed them to detach from their phones. They weren't losing sleep at night by just scrolling through you know, endless social media links. TikToks, um, if you will. Yeah. Uh, they weren't constantly glued to it, and... We are only a few days into this technology fast now, and it's already proving very, very fruitful. I huh. see guys getting together, listening to music. They, like, they actually have CDs from the library, and they're listening to music together. They're, they're talking about poetry and literature together. They're hanging out. They're cooking. They're playing the piano, <laughs> practicing other musical instruments. They're going outside and playing sports. 
who knew? You take technology away from people and authentic community pops I'm just up. imagining how hilarious it would be. Everything just sort of instantly reverts to like 1860 or something, and they all have waxed mustaches and, you know, bowler well, hats like and that. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just somehow, where do they get all that stuff? I don't know. I think they just found it. No, that's no, great. They, that's they wonderful. have access to their own student kitchen. Uh, a student kitchen was built for them on the third floor this this summer. Um, and they've got kind of a, some different reading rooms. They've got literature at their disposal. Uh, certainly athletic facilities. And and it's just great to see, you know, how can young Catholic men be together with some unstructured time and create community, whether that's woodworking, outdoor sports, um, going to an art museum, whatever it is. Um, it, it's really fun watching that come alive. I think any young people who are listening know that same desire, right, of our generation to de- to disconnect now that we've all grown up with the Internet um, and it gets back to John Paul II always used to talk about making the world more human. That sounds exactly the, that it, you know, sorry, that sounds exactly like what he's talking about. But in the context of the preparation of seminary, the real question though, Father Shane, is when I reference this new propedeutic word to anybody in the diocese, especially the Sarah Club or anybody else, <laughs> they always say, what does that mean? And I say, um, it's a Greek word for preparation. And they just look at me and say, well, why didn't we just use the word preparation? <laughs> right. You'll have to ask the you'll have to ask the Vatican. I'll have it's to write Rocks to the Pope. Yeah, in okay. Good. I don't know. <laughs> good, good. Oh, wonderful. I'm not sure. We could, yeah, we could call it prep year. I, I don't know. I do like. I don't think you said it yet, but the nickname for you know the men in the propedeutic year are called. Yeah, the propedudes. The propedudes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So the the Saint Paul Seminary has been doing this propedeutic experience at a convent near the University of Saint Thomas. They've probably been going for two or three years now. Right. Um, and that that's a lingo that actually started up there in St. Paul. That I, Maybe they borrowed it from someone else, but the first time I heard it was up in St. Paul. The Minnesotans are talking about the propodudes. Yeah. Um, exactly right. So, and it seems to be sticking here, too. So oh, that's good. And then the, and then the formator there. in charge of the propodudes is the propodad, right? Right. That's right. how it goes. You, you call Father Aro that. <laughs> you see what happens, exactly. <laughs> right. Right. Father, um, you and I have a podcast and, uh, you know, just given my schedule, I actually don't have a, t- a time to check out a lot of other Catholic podcasts. Right. Um, but I did come across recently uh, Matt Fred's Pints with Aquinas. It's a famous podcast. It's, it's known internationally. Uh, he's, bring, he's, you know, brought in some really big names. And in recent years, his podcast has also just become, you know, very popular on YouTube with a video recording as well. And, and you can watch uh, recently... Um, a three-hour interview that he did with Father Carlos Martins, who is an exorcist. Mm-hmm. And um, we're not going to digest all three hours of the interview. Uh, Matt Frad's you know, production team also produces little tiny clips that you can find on YouTube or, or perhaps his website as well. Uh, and there's just one little comment that Father Martins makes. Uh, this is not going to be an episode just focusing on the demonic. It's not going to be an episode just focusing on the rite of exorcism. Um, I, I intend to actually tie this into a much bigger discussion on vocations, okay? Excellent, I'm here Father for it. Carlos was saying that when he does an exorcism, and for when that happens, you know, the investigation is pretty far down the track. There has been lots of psychological work uh, with psychologists, there's been spiritual work with spiritual directors to determine, okay, there actually is a presence of demonic here, and the healing deliverance ministry of the church is really needed to help deliver this person from any influence of darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when that determination is made and uh, the rite of exorcism is prayed, which might last for a series of months, 
mm-hmm. you know, as, as the ritual is repeated and the, the prayer is deepened. Father Carlos says that there are three principal questions that he asks the demon within the possessed person. Uh, what is your name? What, for what purpose were you created? Mm-hmm. And um, who is your nemesis in heaven? Like, like what holy saint or angel um, you know, is, is perhaps most opposed to you or you're most opposed to them or their mm-hmm. intercession seems to, to thwart your efforts uh, in the demonic realm? Um, I, I just was fascinated and I've just been praying about this for well over a week now. Uh, that second question, for what purpose were you made? Uh, you know, and Father Carlos mentions that some of the demons have responded to him with, with various things that have really been astounding. Yeah. Um, in one exorcism, a demon said, I was created as an angel originally. Of course, we know that all demons are fallen angels. You know, God created all of these, these spiritual beings to be good. Uh, but they were, one. you know, one time uh, a demon said, I was created as an angel for good to protect the chastity of virgins. Another said, I was created uh, to protect the earth from fires. Another said, I was created to just to protect trees, uh, an aspect of, of the glory of God and the beauty of creation. My right? favorite my favorite was that he said that multiple demons have revealed that their purpose of creation was simply to be in the throng singing glory to God in the highest at the nativity. Yeah. That was incredible. That was incredible. That was their purpose was to sing <laughs> at that moment, <laughs> you know. Right, and, and that's kind of what I was building up to. Oh, sorry, I, I ruined it for you. Sorry about no, that. No, wait to steal my thunder. It's okay. <laughs> I was excited about it. No, because it is exciting. I don't blame you. It's very exciting to think that there were angels created in God's magnificent plan of creation, specifically just to give him praise and glory of the night of the incarnation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be worth it just to fulfill that. Of course, angels get to be in paradise all the time. They always get to have access to the vision of God. Um, but to say God, in, to have some sort of a role in participating in this epic night in which God, second person of the Trinity, incarnate, born in Bethlehem on Christmas night, comes to save the world, the angels get a role. They're kind of in the chorus, literally in the chorus. They're a cast member, so to speak, <laughs> on that big epic night in world history. And, and that doesn't diminish the value of their life throughout the, the rest of their existence in, in always getting to praise God and always getting to be connected uh, to divine love. Um, there's huge theological implications there to say, even before the fall of man, before Adam and Eve, our first parents in Eden, God had already foreseen that he wanted angels to be in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. be, you know, that the mind, at least for me theologically, that just kind of explodes my mind to think God was already preparing the, the, the rescue mission, so to speak, the plan of redemption, even before all the angels were created, because he would have had to have created them knowing that Bethlehem would be coming in that night of the incarnation. But that's a whole nother episode. Can I offer a little, just a, uh, hilarious anecdote about the angels at Bethlehem. Um, have okay. you been to the Shepherd's Field Church in the Holy Land before out in Bethlehem? I have, yes. There's that specific church that's dedicated to the nativity, of course, that kind of Orthodox church now where that, you know, the birthplace, supposed birthplace of Christ is with that little 
Silver Star. There's another church that is where the shepherds received this vision of angels kind of uh-huh. away from that. Um, it's a beautiful church built in the 20s, beautiful acoustics. So, of course, what do you do is you sing Christmas carols while you're in there. You sing Angels We Have Heard on High, you know, when you're with your seminary and group on your deacon pilgrimage in the Holy Land. We started singing, and the doors of churches are just kind of open, you know, in the Middle East. This dog comes in and starts, like, pr- pretty ferociously, like, barking at some of the guys and, like, mm. snapping at them. So mm. we had a video for a while of, you know, we're, we're singing uh, Angels We Have Heard on High, sweetly singing over the plane. And this mm-hmm. dog is, like, kind of, like, you know, snapping at a guy's leg, and he's kicking it off and stuff, so... Were you hopefully. singing sweetly? Was the dog? Well, I was hopefully. Channels, I, I, I hoped we were singing <laughs> sweetly, but maybe this is one of those demons. Who knows? You never know. Maybe the presence of evil just didn't want you singing at the, at the shepherd's know. church. I'm not sure. I know. Um, well, okay. So apart from all the theological implications of how God creates angels just to glorify Him, and and I say that not because God is some raging narcissist and He needs angels just to like tell Him He's a good guy, right? He actually created all of these beings, and He creates us to share in his joy, to share in his love in a very overflowing sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, not a, it's not a self-aggrandizement act on God's part to create angels for the sake of glory and, and the act of glorification. It's actually there's so much love pouring forth from God that he wants other creatures to share in that mm-hmm. and to be immersed in, in that joyful existence. So for apart just from him pre-planning that on the night of the, uh, of the birth of our Savior— if we just narrow down the fact that they, those angels had a mission to glorify God and erupt in this host of heavenly vision above the, above the uh, angels, or above the shepherds, rather, what does that say about each one of us? The dignity of our lives, the mission that we're called to, uh, and the vocation that we each have. Mm. Uh, certainly, we all have a vocation to holiness, uh, to help ourselves and to help one another get to heaven and to cross the finish line in eternal life. Um, but I don't think we can, we can emphasize enough that God really does have a vision for us and a mission for each one of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was in a conversation with a priest about 20 years ago, and, um, and I took a pretty firm line, and I just said, you know, I look at John Paul II. Um, here's someone who um, really was pivotal in guiding the church into the third millennium of Christianity in the year 2000, the great Jubilee year. And he was a key catalyst in the fall of communism in Europe by consistently preaching about the dignity of, of human beings mm-hmm. and their relationship with God. I mean, there's clearly a mission that John Paul II had. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can highlight Mother Teresa. Um, by, the de- by the time of her death in 1997, she had over 4,000 sisters in the Missionaries of Charity Religious Order that she founded, and she had convents in over 100 countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, she clearly had a mission in this life. And, and I was talking to a priest, and he did not take um, quite as firm of a view on, uh, that each of us have a mission. And, and he was kind of more of the opinion that, you know, there's, there could be a spectrum and that whatever, whatever gifts that you have, whatever opportunities you have, will kind of make the best of it. And, and God will be pleased with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm not sure that we can say that. Uh, if there are angels that are created just to glorify God on one specific night over Bethlehem, um, I really do believe that there, there should be a greater reverence to the mission and the vocation that each one of us has. 
we got five minutes left, and now I'm getting like really excited and kind of interested well, we about this. Yeah, this we'll time. see what happens. Okay. No, Father Shane, thank you for that. But I think what grinds up against me sometimes is is kind of twofold. That's so true, what you're saying, that sometimes it's diminished of just like, no, no, just kind of do whatever you do, and, and God will God'll use that for the good, you know? Mm-hmm. And it kind of takes it takes a foot off the gas and it takes away any kind of personal responsibility in responding to God's call. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we don't want to treat vocations like you and I in our work as sort of like, um, I have to try to pick the right door, the, you know, like the right magic door to open up to like find my kind of like calling from God. And if I choose the wrong door, right. And a lot of guys, we work with men, right. But men and women, both, they can have this like white knuckled experience of quote unquote discernment. Because it's like, well, I got to choose the right door. And if I choose the wrong door, I'm just going to be screwed for the rest of my life. Um, mm-hmm. That's not true either, right? Um, but I've, I, I just want to kind of offer this too. I really appreciated, you said this when, we were in, when I was in seminary and when you were the vocation director. When you would talk to young men about the priesthood, you would <laughs> you'd use this line like all the random kids in Northwest Iowa who want to be marine biologists. And you'd say, you know, the dolphins need marine biologists, but there are probably plenty of young people in Florida who can um, take care of the dolphins that they grew up living, you know, down the street right. from. There are plenty of marine biologists, right? You know, Northwest Iowa kid, who, I just want to go to study marine biology, you said. Or you could look around to what needs are actually in front of you, right? And I think that's where our experience is like diocesan priests coming back to the dioceses where we were from, you know, kind of called to serve where we were, were nurtured and raised that's the real question of where have I been called at this time in this place in the world for a specific purpose? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm answering my own question, but it seems to be a little bit more nuanced than just, I need to find, I need to walk through this like big massive door in my life and that way I'll fulfill mm-hmm. God's plan. Um, but it seems to be taking account of all of the factors of how I find where I find myself, right? Mm-hmm. My family, the people I know, what my interests, what my skills, what, right? Oh Yeah. No, I think what you're saying is true. And I think a lot of people do find that. I think there are a lot of people who say, I'm at peace. I enjoy being a nurse. Right, right. You know, and I enjoy and a mother. being on my right. feet, being, showing compassion to people. Uh, I don't want to sit down at a desk all day long. And for those people, just as much as the angels had a mission over Bethlehem the night of Christ's birth, for anyone who's a nurse to say, for these cherished sick people, these beloved sons and daughters of God that I had the privilege of serving in my career, uh, I was really helping fulfill a mission mm-hmm. and a vocation. Uh, for someone who's inherited the family farm, and they have for generations helped feed the hungry of the world, that is a mission, um, that is a, cl- a, cl- a clear quest that one can praise God and say, I had a role. Um, even as much as the angels were just created perhaps to create or to uh, protect trees, um, it doesn't. The, the per, it doesn't have to be a competition of who has a more magnanimous mission, who has a more cool or big mission, but to say I did it well, I did it with fidelity, and I did it with great love. If every single creature uh, in heaven and on earth, you know, could fulfill their specific mission, their specific role that they feel drawn to, uh, what would the world look like, and how much more praise would God be receiving? Mm. Um, so it's, it's a fascinating interview from Matt Frad uh, with Father Carlos Martins. Uh, all of our listeners can check it out if they're so inclined. Uh, but let's just keep reflecting on, Lord, how is it that I can give you praise and glory in the mission and the vocation that you have given to me? Father Crotty, thanks for your time today. It's always good to catch up. 
Likewise, Father Shane, and I hope we can all focus on what that mission is that we receive from God, just like the angels. Glory to God in the highest. See ya. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.